Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. I, um, like you, I think, am um, filled with a variety of emotions and uh, some sense of real disorientation about the territory we're moving into. And uh, I have been asked to give an informal talk to a group of people this week uh, over Zoom um, on... um, family systems and family of origin stuff and Mm -hmm. how we are affected by the families in which we grow. And just serendipitously in my reading this week, I came across a poem by Sally Fisher Mm -hmm. called Where I Come From. And the poem is like this. Where I come from, we didn't say fireflies, but lightning bugs. We didn't say carousel, but merry-go-round, not seesaw, teeter-totter, not lollipop, sucker. We didn't say pasta, but spaghetti, macaroni, noodles, the three kinds. We didn't get angry. We got mad. And we never felt depressed, dismayed, disappointed, disheartened, discouraged, disillusioned, or anything, even unhappy. We just felt sad. I love that. Yeah. She forgot the line about how everything is a Coke. (laughs) (laughs) And not a pop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I have been, um, I've been filled with this kind of disorientation about um, this transition that we're in. You know, I've been uh, for 15 months now, I have seen uh, clients in my Catholic practice over Zoom. Yeah. And I have begun asking people when I am able to get back in the office, which is now, by the way. Oh, really? That changed right even now, from yep, last week. Right. It, it changed in the last week. Um, would you rather come in person or would you rather do Zoom? Hmm. And so far, in-person is about 75%, and Zoom is about 25%. And that's flip-flopped from even last week, where people were, I'm more comfortable on Zoom. That's so interesting. So people are missing, I think, and when they they have the experience of, of being, resuming some of our former activities, they hunger for it. Um, I had a big old six and a half foot, 250 pound guy say to me, I'd rather be in your office. I miss hugging. Does this mean you and uh, I get to start hugging? Yeah. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah. It's, um, you know, yeah. I think that this is exactly the tension that I'm sitting with right now of course we want to like throw it all off and just embrace and get in each other's space and 
you know, get close enough to say you have food in your teeth or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And, um, and that tension of like, oh my gosh, my body's habituated in this way. And this feels, um, this change from the CDC, for example, to me felt very sudden. It didn't feel gradual. It was like one day they were mm -hmm. saying, all right, we still got to do all the things. And the next day it was like, well, actually, no, you don't. <laughs> um, well, if you remember, mm -hmm. we didn't get into this gradually. Right. It was, it was sudden. It was, uh, you know, um, well, you can't it, it come was into like, space anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But the, you know, the thing is, is that like there were signs and precautions and things happening that indicated that there something was about to explode. Right. So what, that, what I'm sort of true. sitting with is like, this feels very American to just kind of go whoop. <laughs> and, um, and Americans are so optimistic on the large scale. And I, so I'm having this tension of leaning into um, optimism and skepticism at the same time. And so, yeah. So I, you know, Holly, I try to be as um, as absolutely totally inclusive as I can possibly be. I don't want to say anything um, that alienates anybody. I want mm -hmm. people to feel included, and so um, I certainly don't want to communicate any kind of exclusionistic thing when I talk about St. Paul's. Okay, mm -hmm. I've got my own issues with. Christianity and all that, all that stuff. But I will tell you an experience. I, have, I think I've told you this before, but uh, this past Sunday, we were having, getting ready to have outside services at St. Paul's, one service, and inclement weather was coming. It was going to rain. And the CDC had just released their flip-flop like 48 hours before Sunday. And um, our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff McDonald, who really has a, a, a pastor's heart, said, look, we have all these graduating seniors who have counted on being present this Sunday and being recognized, and we've been planned for this. We're moving a church service inside. And I mean, <clears throat> a crew of people, musicians and <laughs> maintenance staff and everybody went into overdrive to move to make that move happen and word must have gotten out somehow because when the time for the service came it'll i think we scheduled it for 11 30 i'm not sure the place was comfortably full and i have to confess that being in that space felt so good and seeing those people face to face it was it was a wonderful experience so later in the day I, I went to Whole Food which is my Sunday afternoon ritual whether I need to buy anything or not I go to Whole Food on Sunday afternoon because I like the challenge of the parking lot and, <laughs> <laughs> and just to walk around 
And I ran into somebody who was in that service who walked up to me and just started sobbing with joy, saying, you have no idea what it meant to me to be in that service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So there you go. And we're going to meet next Monday and talk about Ordinary Life reopening. Yeah. And I'll bet you we're not going to have a restriction on numbers. Well, I think we're just going to do what the church is doing. And I think if that's what the church is doing, it sounds like that's what we're going to do. But in details with forthcoming, um, it's, um, you know, yeah. I mean, I think you know some of our best friends who are um, kind of like family, you know, the friends you choose for your family. Um, mm-hmm. We saw them last weekend and it was the first time we've like fully embraced in, in, a, in a year We've seen each other, you know, kind of outside and um, at the park, let the kids play catch or whatever. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, for sure, there's those intimate moments that the intimacy of sharing something like a worship service, um, which we hope is also a celebratory service, which sometimes is a grieving service, builds intimacy. I mean, this is the community that I think we're wired for is some kind of community around thought and hope and questions and we haven't shared that space in a really long time so I think it it does feel exciting and for me it also feels really vulnerable Um, feels what vulnerable oh yeah Uh, not not so much because I'm um super fearful of like COVID but the the vulnerability of all that has cropped up in the last 15 months some of which isn't these are not new things that sort of happened, but we had our attention wired in such a way that everything that happened over the last 15 months felt huge, you know, cause it was sort of surrounded by this monastic lifestyle that we were all sort of forced into. So our attention was riveted. Um, and the vulnerability is, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know how to exactly put words to it, but I think that there is a real sense of vulnerability around being in shared spaces for me too. Not a lack of excitement or joy around wanting to see people, just vulnerability. You know, we, I, yeah. I, I wish that I had a, a, an ability to read people's minds and to know what are the hopes and fears that people who make up the Ordinary Life audience have about regathering. Um, And I don't have a way of knowing that. I think that um, I remember sometime years ago, this woman came up to me after class and said, you know, the only reason people come to Ordinary Life? I said, why? And she said, They just want to see what you're going to say next, what outlandish thing you're going to say next. Maybe so. Uh, (laughs) You keep people on their toes. (laughs) I have been thinking, and I think you and I need really to, to put our ear to the ground and listen to people, but I also think that we have a responsibility to lead. And, um, we're, we're entering territory, which, obviously is fraught 
with a lot of conflict um, in the human community. I mean, I don't, um, I have said this and I'm quoting John Meacham now. I'm, I'm gonna reference him in a, in a sermon I'm gonna preach in two weeks. We have never as a country been in this place since before the Civil War. And um, we, we have people on both sides of a number of equations who are absolutely concerned that their position is the correct one. And um, how do we navigate this territory of paradox and contradiction? That's something that, that I really want to try to speak to going forward. Um, yeah. I think that's really important. You know, I think you've mentioned, you know, how much your eyes and heart and mind are trained on not being exclusionary. And I completely agree. I think the pursuit of love is one that you and I put tremendous time and energy into trying to mm -hmm. grow the edges of. And also, when is love holding mm -hmm. discomfort, right? Sometimes love looks like being uncomfortable and saying, but we're in this space together, you know? Um, this is, you know, I mentioned to you that I've been reading Catherine Keller, um, Face of the Deep, and her whole theology is a process theology, but she's grounding it in depth. She's grounding it in, you know, before there was something, there wasn't nothing. There was actually this depth from which creation emerged. But we have such a hard time with the depth because it feels mysterious, it feels dark, it feels unknown, it feels potential, but we don't know. And so we, we created this sort of like point A of creation that everything sort of exploded from that. But what she's saying is before point A, there was a point zero point A, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that all creativity is cyclical. So she's, it's just got me thinking a lot, right? Is like, what, where are we dancing around the edges of that depth because of discomfort and not knowing how? I really wanna hold space for people, myself included in many ways, who don't know how to step into or out of mm -hmm. that edge, you know? Um, there's a lot of things we don't know how to do. There's a lot of things as part of dominant society that we weren't taught how to do. How do you create open-hearted, loving communities that are intersectional, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we weren't taught how to mm -hmm. do that. How did you get onto that book? Um, I've had it for a while. Um, Catherine Keller has been someone that I've read in the periphery, but I've never dived into her kind of theological process. So I finally decided that this summer, now that I'm done with my comprehensive exam and need to read other things, um, need to do different research that I can dive in. <laughs> and you're liking so, it. I am. I, I don't know that I recommend it. It's not light okay. reading. So if you like philosophy and you really, um, are interested in, in theology and process theology and sort of deconstructing ideas, I recommend it. If, you, if you're sort of driven by reading about philosophical and theological ideas, it's, it's wonderful, it, it's nourishing. 
um, is very feminine. So I think that's also a reason I'm, I'm responding. You know, something I have noticed um, that people have stopped saying, and I Mm -hmm. think this is reflection of a deep intuition an intuition about a profound truth going forward. I've, I've, used to hear months ago people saying oh i really will be glad when things get back to normal i'm not hearing that anymore people are not saying that i think people know there's no going back to what we were doing things are not going to be as they were in a lot of ways um we cannot we cannot i cannot I don't think I will ever, ever again write a ordinary life presentation without having the whole apocalypse of George Floyd in, in the back of my mind. That's something that yeah. I can't erase and we should not. Um, we have, just like we have to do theology in, in, in light of evolutionary cosmology, we have to do theology, I think, in light of some of the systemic principalities and powers, as Paul would call them, that have got Mm. this country in such a bind. Right. You know, I appreciate your lens on you're not hearing people say, I just want to go back to normal. Um, That's probably one of my, my fears, is that at least in our kind of commercial world and how things are sort of being billed. It is, you know, I'm hearing all kinds of commercials in the background when I turn on the TV of now that we're getting back to normal. So it's almost like a sort of Mm. curtain, a veil is trying to be put between what is, what actually Mm -hmm. is and what Mm -hmm. we hope. And I think this is an opportunity to see beyond the veil, you know. Um, I have hopes that we will, but I also have just as many fears that we won't. And I think that that is what speaks to the vulnerability that I feel, I feel. Um, You know, I I think that it can be a lot um, when things change the way they have over the last 15 months. And hearing us talk in different ways. You know, I became a more of a fixture in ordinary life over the last 15 months. Um, I'd love to know if we can think on our feet, how has that changed you? Um, and I'm happy to address the same question. Well, I have actually been writing something to say Uh, anticipating that you and I will be co-teaching the first Sunday that we reopen. Um, And and, and let's just say that you're going to be gone this coming Sunday and Wayne Herbert and I are going to dialogue about our different spiritual journeys. I I affectionately refer to Wayne as our resident atheist. And he said that that was okay. I could do that. Um, Wayne is a guy who's, who's, philosophical, theological, religious background could not be more different than mine. And yet for 18 years, we shared a spiritual journey together. And um, Mm. I I appreciate what it takes for both him and his wife, Callista, who have 
their own strong views about the damage that organized religion has done and is doing to people in many places in the world still are willing to participate in ordinary life in the very active, generous way mm. that they do. So I want to I want to say that. So we're doing going to say that. And then two weeks from now, which will be the 30th of May, you and I are going to dialogue about what this last 15 months has meant. And um, I'm going to extract from you the promise that you will create that slide that is uh, an amalgam of all the photographs that John Watson has taken over the last 15 months. Yeah, absolutely. And then all the... (laughs) It'll be a lot of repeats and outfits. And, and, and on the first Sunday in June, uh, my vision is that you and I are going to co-teach about our visions for ordinary life going forward. And I wish, yeah. I've asked for this, but I haven't gotten any feedback. I wish that people in the class would say what their hopes and fears are. I'd love to hear that. Um, when we started um, doing... Uh, when COVID hit, I honestly don't remember. I remember you and I were slated to teach. We could, we co-taught for a couple of weeks, not sure what the future was going to be. But during that period of time, I think St. Paul's was just entering or was in the middle of Lent in 2019 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. 2020 huh yeah 2020 and, and, <laughs> it feels like two years ago and, but. <laughs> and all of the yeah. clergy had to go into overdrive videotaping what parts of services we were charged to do um and some of that meant we were videotaping at home on our own devices and uploading them to a website. And some meant that we were going into the sanctuary and being videotaped. Um, and I'm very grateful that we had that technology because if COVID had hit five years ago, we would not have had the technology that allows us to do what we do. So I'm very grateful for that. But I had the experience during that time of how horrible it is for me to talk to a camera. It's just awful. And um, I don't work that way. I can't do that. And so what's it's really been valuable to me for us to have shared this journey together. And I think we kind of hit a rhythm about how to do it. And um, you bring a perspective and a demographic to ordinary life that I don't. And I think the, f- the <laughs> feedback that we have gotten from people uh, is that they really appreciate what the two of us have done together. Um So I, in my gratitude journal, I write down almost every day how grateful I am for Holly Hudley, because I couldn't have done this without you. I I couldn't have done it. That's um, the gratitude is mutual. 
for sure. Um, and gratitude even extends to those who have hung with us, right? And even those who have found mm-hmm. us in the last year and have questioned and, and, and said, what do you mean? And you know, I think that that makes us better too. Um, gosh, yeah, you know, I think about the things that we had no idea we would have to sort of wrap our minds around. And one of the things I really appreciate about you over the years and just ordinary life in general is the desire to stay relevant and the desire to speak to what is happening in the world, on the ground, in people's hearts and minds. Um, and sometimes we're guessing, we're going, gosh, we're noticing this. And, and, and can we try to make sense of this spiritually? Um, I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day. I think I sent it to you between, uh, so I actually, I, I think she's brilliant, but I, I haven't um, jumped completely onto the Brene Brown um, sort of mm-hmm. wagon. I, again, I think she's brilliant, but it's just, it hasn't been my focus. Um, but she interviewed a woman named, or talked with a woman named Austin Channing Brown, who wrote a book called I Am Still Here. And it's a, uh, a memoir of her experience uh, of, of being an African-American woman in a mm-hmm. white world. And, and these, this, their friends and this dialogue was really beautiful. But I think one of the things that they spoke to was kind of trying to figure out things in the moment. And they're both people of faith, of the Christian faith, I should say. Um, and that theologically, our desire, I hope, is to just be better humans. And when we set that as like, I just want to be a better human, it means that we have to find ways to uphold the dignity of each Mm -hmm. human, of the human experience, of the messiness, of the, the hurt, of the overwhelm, and of the joy. Like, how do we find dignity in these moments? And always in this, in the image of Christ, of course, he sought to uphold and uplift the dignity of those who were not seen, represented, or lifted up into the mainstream. And that's been an extraordinary challenge, I think, um, this mm-hmm. year, <laughs> to lean into that, our own discomfort with trying to wade our way through um, being better humans and speaking to what is. So let's put something on the table that may be a little uncomfortable for people to hear or but Mm. let's just just get it out i shared with you yesterday when we were talking planning about what what we're doing an article that i'm reading in sojourners at the moment about uh, my denominational background southern baptist seminaries Uh, presidents all signing a statement saying that they would not permit nor support the study of Um, critical race theory in their schools. That's wrong. And that's wrong. (laughs) It means my kids will continue to be left out of the narrative, you know, and their ancestors. And and what I have learned so far, and I agree with, is that the refusal to do that is the desire by white men to hang on to white male power. Right. So I say that in ordinary life to the crowd in ordinary life. And I think that there are some people who say, I agree with that. Thank you for bringing that up and making us aware of that. And there are other people who respond by saying, 
I can't do anything about that. Am I interested in that? I don't want to hear any more about it. You talk about this too much. And so I feel that we have this really, because I don't want to, I, 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 I will say publicly racism is wrong and that people who say I'm not racist have a lot of work to do, right? Mm. I mean, that's a sure sign to me oh, that yeah. somebody says I'm not racist, they're racist. I've stopped saying it because I realize I have conditioned patterns right, right. of being so, that are still going to be so racist. I, 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 I <laughs> want to be able to talk about that sort of stuff in a way that is informative mm -hmm. and pastoral and healing and not yeah. a way that turns people off and is offensive. So that's a fine line yeah. to walk. How do you how do you do that? But I want to I want to find that because that's that's why I'm thinking about crafting a, a new kind of theme for when we regather. I know we'll always be in mm. between, but a new a new <laughs> theme of of um, walking this path of paradox and contradiction, um, and and trying to find healing and wholeness for the days ahead. That's a theme that I'm just percolating in my mind. That um, our our journey, our journey has to be into what it means for everybody to embrace their full humanness. Yeah, which means we're light and shadow. Yeah, which means you know that's the integration of opposites that is so there's union, your, right? Is how there's do we, your paradox and contradiction yeah. again. That's right. I, I just opened to the one of the last pages I read last night of speaking of Catherine Keller um, is two things. One, just this is just a partial sentence, but so she's writing from this perspective of what she calls a Tihomic theology. Of what? Um, and Tihomic and Tihom is a Hebrew word for abyss. Okay. And and so so for her, what she's she says, um, in any Tihomic ethic, to love is to bear with the chaos. And I think that's sort of what you're speaking to a little bit is how do we bear with the chaos, sort of lean into what she calls loving the sea monsters in their chaos matrix, affirming their goodness within the context of the whole. We are both the sea monsters. We are also not. Right, and I, and I think this imagery is is one that um, I find feminine theologians really comfortable with. Maybe it has something to do with the biological propensity for women to give birth. That's a very mm -hmm. like Tihomic <laughs> experience. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, we are. We are in the boat while we're building it, to use that analogy. Um, and we're trying to keep the boat afloat and love on each other in ways that both grow us and also challenge us. And I am trying to lean into the theology of discomfort, if you will. Um, there, feel good theology is wonderful. I think it feels so good when our beliefs are affirmed 
and expanded upon. I felt that way um, first meeting you when I was very young. I felt that way meeting um, Ilya mm-hmm. Delio, you know, like something that I couldn't quite name was named and expanded. I felt that way when I started reading Brian Swim. I felt, you know, there's just many moments where you can go, ah, oh, that breath just expanded me. And then there are things that I read and, I, and they make me uncomfortable and I'm not exactly sure why. And I want to just tear the book up, <laughs> you know, and, but then I realized that's the moment I have to lean in is kind of, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Why am I uncomfortable? What is here? Um, and I think there's a real place for that theology of discomfort, right? How do we, how do we grapple? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's another paradox, Holly. And it's one to mm-hmm. uh, really pay attention to. I think that one of the key principles of pursuing theological truth spiritual truth is one of resonance. And when mm. I found, you found Ilya Delio, there was something deep within me that went, yes, yes, that's mm-hmm. the resonance that I'm speaking of. That's very core to um, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Buddha, the teachings of Lao Tse. Uh, you know, Buddha says, don't trust me, trust, trust yourself trust what you find. And Jesus never answered the question. He just said, come and see, follow me, make up your own creed out of what you experience. On the other hand, there is this thing of discomfort, the shadow where Carl Jung, Robert Johnson, my analyst, other people that I have worked with over the years says, when something gets your goat, you better pay attention because (laughs) It's a place where you need to grow and learn. So both of those things are true. Yeah. And I just want to say it's incredibly hard to be in a position of growing and learning or of just discomfort, period. Um, And gosh, if we haven't all been there in one way or another in the last 15 months. And I don't want to like quickly paper over all of the unique and uh, really intersecting ways that we need to address those things. But that is the human experience right now. I can't even imagine that there's not a single person on the planet who hasn't been made somewhat uncomfortable in the last 15 months. Even a newborn baby who feels it through the mother or who feels it through the, you know, who feels it through the caregiver. I think this has been incredibly unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just some, you, what you just said, maybe you know. I love Edward Edinger. Uh, I love his book on the, um, the the Christ aspect of the union archetype of the Christ aspect, and and you know, Jesus kisses Judas on the cheek, knowing Judas will betray him, and Edinger says the reason that Jesus could kiss Judas on the cheek is because he had to see Judas in himself. He had to see, I too could betray someone. Mm. I too could hurt someone. And so that's kind of the immense vulnerability um, that I have been feeling. It's like, I'm capable of hurting and I'm capable of being hurt. I'm capable of loving and I'm capable of being loved. I can't put my hands on the man who wrote this wonderful, wonderful metaphor about Jesus gathering with his disciples in the future. 
and being so unhappy until Judas showed up at the table. Oh, wow. Mm. So um, somebody asked me the other day, why do you stick with teaching uh, Jesus teachings? And the reason is it's in my DNA. I mean, you know, yeah. I was stuck in the Christian church when I was six <laughs> days old and I never have escaped. And I have, <laughs> always, I have always had a passion for being, for wanting to um, be very unapologetically evangelical to people in the Christian church who have been hurt by organized religion, who have been um, demeaned, shamed, made to feel guilty, bad, and all that other stuff, to say that's not what it's about. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. keep doing that. Well, that's the liberation that's available is liberating from our habitual patterns. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think one of the one of the phrases that um, has really come to mean a lot to me during this past year after the death of John Lewis is um, make good trouble. I like yes, yeah. I mean, and you know, again, it's like a just to draw it to zoom out for a minute into kind of like uh, evolutionary cosmology is disturbance had to happen in order for something so beautiful to be born. Mm -hmm. And we are and, part of that beauty. And, and there, <laughs> yeah. there are people out there um, like Naramuda Miraku, mm -hmm. like Michael Morwood, like Ilya Delio, these people that you mentioned who are way ahead of us in oh, being able yeah. to articulate yeah. what they do. And I'm glad to bring them in and be somewhat of an interpreter of those people to people who are, are interested in hearing. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're kind of, um, so as you know, that maybe we can sort of wrap up around this, but I was up late watching the baseball game the Astros are playing West Coast time. So the games are happening later here. <laughs> and, the, you know, this massive thunder and lightning storm and tornado warnings were going on around us. So I'm sitting in my, on my couch and the trees outside are swirling around me. And the lightning looks like it's so low to the ground that it's actually flashing between the darkness of the branches and the leaves, Whoa. you know? Yeah, you know, so you're, I'm, I'm watching this thing that I love. <laughs> And the Astros lost, by the way. Um, but so I didn't love that. But um, but I am also surrounded by this kind of chaos. And um, I just had this thought, like, gosh, like, can dark matter try to make itself known? Like, is you know, and 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 dark matter, it is said, is that thing that keeps us from flying apart. And I just thought of the flashes of lightning, kind of like, I'm trying to make myself known. I'm trying to illuminate something here, some connective energy. You know, I just had all these kind of like, wah, thoughts all while watching baseball. So you can tell what kind of night I had last night, um, went into my own abyss. <laughs> but I love this five line poem by um, Rebecca Elson. It's called Dark Matter. Above a pond, an unseen filament of spider's floss 
suspends a slowly spinning leaf. Well, we are all connected, even by the things we can't see. That's beautiful. And I don't, I, I don't want to distract from that. But did the Astros win? No, they lost in the bottom of the ninth inning. <laughs> Um, on a bit of a chaotic play. So here we are. They were channeling the energy of the Houston weather. <laughs> so I remember one of the first classes we could talk together was about baseball. And uh, <laughs> Dr. Jeff McDonald walked across and listened to us for a while. And later he said, I'm really surprised that neither one of you talked about how biblical baseball is. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, in the big inning. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good sense of humor. <laughs> All, right. All right. Love you. Love you too. Thank you. See y'all soon.